Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and thank you all for joining in today. And I'm excited. We have a great topic. I have a great guest. So today we're going to be talking all about fellowships and residencies um, within the world of physical therapy. Uh, so far, we've had some great discussions on Twitter uh, about this topic, so I'm excited to, to, I'm personally excited to learn more, and, and I'm sure a lot of uh, the new graduates out there, all those people who just graduated a couple of weeks ago, are also excited to learn a little bit more. So to help me through this process, I'm very excited to have on the show Dr. Jonathan Fass. He is currently the private physical therapist and sports manager of His Royal Highness Prince Alwaleed bin Talal, billionaire investor, philanthropist, and humanitarian. He is a graduate of the first doctoral class in the City University of New York's physical therapy program and attended his orthopedic physical therapy residency at the University of Delaware, one of the top-ranked physical therapy programs in the nation. He is the former co-host of the FitCast and now has his own podcast, The Strength of Evidence, which will apparently have all new episodes soon. You can also find him at www.jonathanfast.com, which he also says will be updated soon. And you can also follow him on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll get into uh, where you can find him on Twitter and Facebook a little bit later. And uh, I can say there are a lot of lively discussions on his Facebook page. So if you really want some uh, thought-provoking, somewhat very, at times, interesting discussions, you should definitely find him on Facebook. And he also uh, posts a lot of pictures of cats, which I can attest to because I've seen a lot of pictures of cats on his Facebook page. So Jonathan, thanks for joining us um, all the way from Saudi Arabia. Thank you for having me. And the internet runs on cats. We'll just establish that right now. So. I, it's true. I mean, cat videos on YouTube, what, hundreds of millions of views, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, listen, every time I put a picture of my cat up on Facebook, it gets more likes than anything else. So I feel anything like else. he should have his own Facebook page. Absolutely. Um, okay. So today we are talking about uh, residencies and fellowships. So I think the first thing is to establish what they are. So can you define, um, in more layman's terms, what is a residency and what is a fellowship? Right. Well, residencies and fellowships, at least as of right now, are not requirements of practice. But what they are is they help to specialize you. So when you graduate from PT school and you, you know, three years, two and a half years, whatever your program was, you have a doctorate in physical therapy and you were basically graduated as a generalist the residency program is designed to make you a specialist. So you might decide to be an orthopedic uh, physical therapist, you might decide to be a geriatric physical therapist, and the residency is designed to make you that specialist. So it takes physical therapy and it, and it boils it down to one area. The fellowship is, a con is almost a continuation of that in the sense that it then takes those specialists and makes them hyper-specialized. So in orthopedics and in sports, you might elect to take your fellowship in manual therapy. So what you would be is you're an orthopedic specialist now specializing in manual therapy techniques. You could imagine that you might be an orthopedic specialist and, and specialize in uh, neuromuscular techniques or something like that or any other way to approach orthopedic physical therapy. Becoming a fellowship uh, fellow means that now 
I have this special subspecialization. So you're kind of an, uh, almost like saying you get a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree will specialize you in a field, and a PhD will specialize you in one or two questions within that field. Same sort of idea. Yeah, and I think it's important to note also that when it, after you take your residency, let's say you do take it in orthopedics and you're sort of an orthopedic specialist, that it's different than being an orthopedic clinical specialist through the APTA or the American Physical Therapy Association. It is, and the, the residencies are designed to prepare you for that specialization test mm -hmm. to become certified, but when you graduate a residency, you are not technically yet like an OCS or an SCS. That you still have to sit for the, the test for. There's been discussion on eventually making it so that you must attend a residency in order to sit for that test, but so far we still have the option of either sitting for the test or taking a residency and sitting for the test. And there right. are different qualifications depending, but you, could, you have both options at this point. Mm -hmm. And so in talking about a fellowship and talking about a residency, what are the biggest differences? Are there differences in time allotment? Um, you know, if you're taking, can they be done remotely? Mm -hmm. Do you have to there, be in a facility? What are, what are some of the big differences between the two? Right. Most fellowships, we'll start with the fellowships, most of them are a mixed type of approach. So they, mm -hmm. they involve distance learning, like on online learning, as well as uh, clinical, you know, weeks of clinical specialization with a mentor. So you go mm -hmm. there and you have a, a, like a hard week, where you work like 100 hours, let's say, or something. Mm -hmm. The residencies are also mixed. Some of them, um, most of them are in person. So you attend a clinic somewhere. Uh, some of the residencies are performed by schools. So like for myself, I went to the University of Delaware's residency program because they have a clinic right there in the school. Other residencies are performed in private clinics mm -hmm. and they might, um, they might cooperate with, with someone, you know, like Evidence in Motion might certify at a clinic and they run Evidence in Motion's residency program through that clinic. Got it. So there are a couple of different ways, which is nice because if you do have interest in attending a residency or a fellowship, you do have some choices and mm -hmm. you can choose, say, well, you know, some residencies will allow you to continue working where you work and then you do this online combination of things or they'll have a number of different clinics so at least you can choose one nearby. So there are a couple of options and, and I think that's probably a good thing because we're all, you know, busy working and not all of us have the ability or desire to go to a different school or a different clinic, take a mm -hmm. different salary and mm -hmm. things like that. So, Right. And then actually that brings me to another question is, do you have to pay for this or is it, are you hired as a resident? Do you have to pay for it? Do you have to pay for the fellowship? Because, you know, that's, I think, uh, something that can definitely hold people back, especially new graduates coming out of school if they're in a lot of um, student loan debt already. Is this right. something that one must pay for? Yes and no. You get paid as a resident in most cases. Uh, some of the programs, if you're if they're using your practice, your current practice and location, and you're paying for that residency or fellowship. But most of the residencies, you get hired as a resident. But it's at a, either a reduced salary, or you may get a full salary or competitive salary. But then you also have to stay with them for a number of years. So you sign a contract that after your residency year, you'll stay on for say another two years or something mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. there's always a price to pay. Uh, but there are differences in how each residency is set up. Mm -hmm. 
and then a fellowship are you just is that is a fellowship like just a continuation of school no it there there are some major differences and it is not even a continuation necessarily of the residency but mm -hmm. it is closer to the residency structure than anything else mm -hmm. uh, most fellowships have you working as the fellow you're completing certain hours and certain requirements of the fellowship just like there's certain requirements in the residency to complete mm -hmm. Uh, you do take testing and test your skills. You may take coursework additional, and the same thing may be true with the residency as well. So it does depend a little bit on the on the fellowship. But the most of the fellowships that I've seen, and, and I've looked into the, the manual therapy fellowships, mm -hmm. they were, they're a combination of some classwork and in-clinic training and, and uh, mentoring. Mentoring mm -hmm. hours are very important in all of these things. Sure. And here's a question from Laura Keeley. She is a physical therapy student and mm. she wanted to know do I have to do both or either to be seen as valuable to an employer or to patients it's a really good question and the the answer is the answer is no that you don't have to take either of these things but the real answer getting to what she's asking about what you will basically appear like to, to patients or let's say referring MDs or something like that, the answer is I don't know because the research hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. I can say generally speaking you will most likely produce relationships with uh, orthopedic surgeons and medical doctors and other physical therapists in the area. So when I took my residency I was shadowing uh, other physical therapists, I was shadowing other uh, orthopedic surgeons and surgeon groups. So I got to know a lot of these individuals and and reasonably speaking I would have there, therefore been uh, probably gotten more referrals from them mm -hmm. so it would have helped my business. But having said that I can't tell you for a fact that if a, a orthopedic surgeon or someone sees this on your resume or sees this in your description, they'll say, oh, well, I'll send my, my people there. Mm -hmm. it, logically speaking, you would think so because they not only does it look impressive, presumably, but it also speaks to them as medical doctors. And I did have those conversations and they said, you know, I went through a residency. It's kind of cool to see a physical therapist that went through a mm -hmm. residency. So they feel that they can relate. And the assumption is these are more expert practitioners. So I can't tell you for a fact that that happens. Most likely we can assume that it does, but we can't be sure of that until research is actually done evaluating the effect of these credentials and these and these experiences on a resume and how they affect that physical therapist and the way that physical therapist is seen. Until we have that, we can't say we know that for a fact. Right. And, and from an employer standpoint, I would think all things being equal between two candidates, but one has gone through fellowship or residency training, they would probably be seen as the more um, favorable candidate for the job. Most likely. I mean, I don't know. So. One would right. think, but again, I don't know the answer to that question. Right. And I think the, the other, to play devil's advocate there, although we don't, most of the time, I haven't found anything that has suggested that, say, an OCS or an SES gets a larger income. No. There, there's one, I found one paper, although I couldn't actually locate that paper, I found reference to it, mm -hmm. suggesting that you might make a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's possible. If that's the case, 
then all things being equal means that the employer is also willing to pay a greater salary to you. But of course, we know how physical therapy reimbursements occur, right. and they don't occur based on your education. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter what your personal experience is per se. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, you're doing these things either for a personal professional reason or possibly to look better for an employer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, prospective employer. So I do agree with you, but it, you know, it could be a little bit different. If I have a certain budget and budget consideration and you're mm -hmm. clearly the better therapist to hire, but your request for reimbursement is just way outside the my ability to, to salary you, you're not getting that job. Right. So I don't think that that happens often, but it's, again, until we know that it doesn't happen, we can't say that it doesn't. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if you're in the cash-based arena, would mm -hmm. you charge more? Right. Could you right. charge more? You know, and again, right. that that of course is is based on your market. It's based on your patient mm -hmm. population. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you charge more or if you don't charge more. Right. You you foreseeably could, but and again, you know, it's it's a it's a matter of market forces. Yeah. So if if you're deemed to be a better therapist, that may or may not have to do with residency training sure. or fellowship training. And and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more yeah. in a few more questions. But yeah, it, there there are a lot more questions here than we have answers for. Yeah. We can reasonably assume that that's the case that you would be a more competitive therapist, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean I know there is one therapist on Twitter who had said, you know, you don't make any more money, but your patient treatments and interactions are profoundly improved. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it, it's so, I guess, from a moral, personal standpoint and how you want to be viewed by your patient and how you want to mm -hmm. show up for your patient, I think perhaps it's, it's worth it. Right. Regardless I, I of think, the amount of money you make. You know, I thought that that was a good option observation, but the problem with that observation, and I don't necessarily disagree with it from my experience or friends of mine, you know, through the residency or other residents that I've known, we all felt very qualified when we were finished with our residency. Mm -hmm. I did not finish, by the way. I was I was like two or three months shy because I took this job. Oh, okay. So I don't want to put out there that I graduated my residency. I mm -hmm. did not. I, I This job came up and it was like, uh, okay, I'll take the job. But, mm -hmm. you know, but um, from everyone that I know, and including myself, we felt better. But the question is, would that be the case five years from now? Or did we all even out after that point? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's the, a big question, too. So, yes, immediately you'll get a push. It's almost inconceivable that you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we can reasonably say that that's probably true. But five years from now, do I know that it made a difference? Are, the, are my co-graduates that just went you know, straight into work immediately, are they as good or better or worse than I was? And is the residency the reason why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And, and you know, in the world of physical therapy, because research and science itself changes a lot over a five-year or ten-year period, I think regardless of whether you had a residency or a fellowship, if you don't keep up, it's not going to add to your PT career. And it's not right. going to add value to your patient's treatment. So, right. you know, and, and the question is, is, does the residency or fellowship instill in you that yearning to keep learning? Right, and we'll talk about that. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Lauren also asked, how long do people normally wait to pursue either a residency or a fellowship? That was a really good question. There was a study uh, performed 
but it was 15 years ago. But the average, they looked at it, it was characteristics of residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found that the, the average resident that they, you know, studied had waited about six and a half years. Okay. Before they entered the residency program. But the thing is, 15 years ago, the residency programs were very new. Mm-hmm. And now they've been around for a while. I went into the residency as soon as I was done uh, with PT school. I went right from PT. I started the residency before I passed my boards. I was okay. still technically like a student. Um, the Because I was working under like a student license. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, Most of the residents that I worked with also did the same thing. They went straight from their school right into the residency. Uh, there were some other residents that were a little bit older that had been you know, in previous cohorts. Mm-hmm. And they I think they practiced a few years. It's reasonable to say that you're probably going to start a residency somewhere within five years of, of graduating. I, I think agree. that's probably fair enough, mm-hmm. but give or take. But it really doesn't matter. It's up to you. And I think that one of the main reasons that people might elect to take a residency is because they're missing something in their education or practice. So they either decide that they want to learn more or within the practice they're being frustrated by something that they can't mm-hmm. solve or whatever and they need more uh, growth and yeah. they're going back to the residency for that that seems to be a reasonable yeah I you think know, that, decision making I think that makes sense you know I think you have to think about these residencies and fellowships as and and look at them as obviously advanced training but you have to go into it when you when it, you're ready for it and when you right. feel it's going to be something that really resonates with you and that you're really going to put your full effort into. Right. You right. Know? And, and, and if, I, if you're going to half-ass it, then I don't think, then why would you right. do it? You know, it's, there's, there's also challenges in the residency. They're, they're difficult. You know, yeah. so as a brand new physical therapist, that may be a bit of an overload or it may not. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it just depends on the individual. For some people, they're going to be able to run right into it. And for others, they may need to, you know what, I'm going to practice a little bit, get some of these, you know, interaction skills with patients or whatever before I decide to go back to residency. Yeah. So there's really no right or wrong answer to that. Yeah, yeah. It's just whenever it feels right for you right. is the right answer. Right. Okay. So let's actually, before we, we move on with the fellowship and residency, um, I just wanted to talk quickly about, um, so people sort of like myself who graduated with a master's degree or even people who graduated before me who maybe just had a bachelor's degree um, and moving on towards that transitional DPT or getting that mm-hmm. doctorate in physical therapy. Do you, what is, what is your opinion on the value of that? You know, it's, that's the ongoing debate, isn't it, is whether mm-hmm. or not first the DPT itself is justified. It, and I think it does boil down to how does it produce physical therapists. If we produce better, more effective, and efficient physical therapists with a doctorate, then I think that we could argue that it's justified. Mm-hmm. But again, the, the evidence is it's difficult, and, and it's difficult mostly, to be fair, the DPT is fairly new. Mm-hmm. So to be able to compare physical therapists where the DPT hasn't been around for as long and therefore they are um, more, they're greener therapists, it's a difficult comparison to make. Mm -hmm. But having said that, if we're going to have the doctorate, clearly it's political, let's let's be blunt. it's It's a political move by the association because we do have competition and we compete with other health professionals that have doctorates. So there is a political reason for that and I don't think that that's unfair to say. 
because it's important and valuable that when we talk about the patient expectation, there may be a difference when you get introduced to Dr. So-and-so versus Mr. or Mrs. or Miss mm-hmm. So-and-so, you know, mm-hmm. so there, there's, there's value there. And when we think about the highly important interaction between the patient and the therapist, I think that we can make a reasonable argument that this may, in fact, affect outcomes just because the patient may have a little bit more uh, trust in us. Yeah. yeah, faith and trust. So I think that's valuable. If we look at the, the amount of schooling and education with the DPT versus other clinical doctors, medical and chiropractic, it's far, far, far closer to those levels of education, mm-hmm. the amount of credit hours, than mm-hmm. the majority of master's programs. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at the master's programs in, in PT before the DPT, they were usually somewhere around, what, 60, 70, 80 credits. And most master's programs are around 30 or 40. You can get a master's in exercise physiology for, I think, like 35, 45 credits. So when we compare those two, we can already start to say, well, PT was almost sort of in the middle anyway, in in a sense. Mm -hmm. And adding some some coursework, if that coursework is valuable to the profession, not, I'm not into it for just adding coursework and charging us more for the degree, but if the coursework could be validated to be helpful for the profession and for outcomes, then I think you can justify it by that means too. Overall though, I don't necessarily get, you know, oh, well, I'm Dr. So-so now and whatever, but I don't mind having that doctored. It was an achievement and I'm glad that I was able to achieve that, but I'm, I, I'm, do not have an argument either way. I base it on on the outcomes. If we're a better profession and we serve our patients better because we have a doctorate and the, you know the coursework that we took is justified. If we don't do any better, then I'm going to have trouble justifying it mm-hmm. because it's a cost and expense that we didn't need to make. Right, right. Yeah, and I asked that. Like I'm, I think I told you this, but yeah, I have a master's degree and I'm in the midst mm-hmm. of getting my doctorate degree mm-hmm. as we speak. Um, and I, I have another this semester and then next semester and then I'm done. But, um, Mm -hmm. I was kind of looking back on sort of my journey through the whole DPT process. And I think personally, I feel like it has helped me grow as a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I was on the fence like, oh, do I need it? Do I not need it? What's the point? Who cares? Right. And now that I'm going through it, I'm like, well, I'm really glad that I decided to do this because I feel like it's, I mean, I'm doing an, an online uh, format, but I feel like it certainly sparked more interest into different aspects of physical therapy that perhaps I did not have before. Right. And kind of forces me to take a better look at you know, what I'm doing with my patients, which I think is also very good. Right. And, you know, one one of the characteristics that seems to come up um, pretty often with, um, with, with our, uh, with our practice is the idea of clinical Mm decision-making and the ability to make good clinical decisions and education like that may encourage better clinical decision-making just because you're back in a course, you know, classroom consistently and learning about this. So that may be part of it. So if getting the transitional DPT helps you to enjoy your work more, that may be valuable. Now, how much of a value that is and the versus the cost that you're paying for this, for this degree, that's something else to decide, but that may be it. But there are other characteristics that we're going to talk about too, that, you know, might muddy the waters a little bit. And I'll I'll leave that as a... 
I don't really think about the cost. Mm-hmm. I try to keep the cost out of my head, and and well, mainly because I can, you know. But I try. Right. And, of course, not everyone has the luxury to say I don't have to worry. I don't. I'm not stressing out over the cost. Um, right. But I try and keep the cost in the back of my head and just focus on the work versus mm-hmm. am I getting my money's worth? Because I think if right, you go that's... in with that idea, and that I think would be for fellowships, residency, everything. Right. If you as a therapist are always going in, well, am I really getting my money's worth out of this? Well, you're going to have a really mm-hmm. crap time. But now let me right? I'll bring this up. And how, I, how, we keep hinting. Like you're not focusing on, on the work. Right. Well, See, I, I think that we, I think a lot of times as physical therapists, it's fairly, it's reasonable to suggest that we're altruistic people mm-hmm. in the sense that we're giving our time to help others. Right. But there is a return for us. We're not completely like, oh, I'll work for free. Nonsense. We're not. all going to work for something that we think right. is reasonable and fair. Right. And I think a lot of times, and especially as students, I'm not going to say this is done purposely at all, but I think that we tend to ride on that idea. We're going to change the world and we're going to help our patients, which is all great and wonderful. But there is a reality to our profession as well. And the fact of the matter is that any of this education we just talked about, there's no evidence that we're really getting more money. There's certainly no structured system in the way maybe nursing is, where mm-hmm. they get a greater degree and they get a bump in pay scale, right? right? We don't have that. So we're doing a lot of these things on the idea that it will make us better therapists and will serve our patients better. Mm-hmm. And we're evaluating the costs in both you know, economically and money and time mm-hmm. to pursue these things in order to do that. But when we talk about the cost, what we're ta- we tend to look at just the bottom line, right? So as a physical therapist in the residency program, I was paid $25,000 for the year. Right. As an, and that was clearly about half, if not more than half uh, of what I could have made as the first year. Right. Yeah. So if I take twenty five thousand as my my salary and say that I it, the residency cost me twenty five thousand dollars, that's not entirely true. Because what it really cost me was $25,000 of income that could have been used for something else. Right. Now, I was using it for, for, for personal development, and that's called human capital. When we look at economics, it's human capital. So you're raising your human capital. You're making yourself a better expert at whatever it is that your expertise is. Mm-hmm. In this sense, it's physical therapy. But had I used that economics for something else, that money for something else, what would it have produced? So we can do we can look at like markets. What if I decided to take my first year salary and split it in half, live the same way I did as a resident, but I'll take the $25,000 and invest it in the stock market, Mm -hmm. right? If we look at that and we say, and we can run numbers on this, I love economics, but we can run numbers on this. We can look at 40 years of growth. Let's say 20, you know, you're 25 years old and in your residency or a new grad. So that means you're probably going to have 40 years before you retire. Mm And if we took the interest rate on that investment at 5%, which is half of the annual return for the last 50 years of the S&P 500, then that $25,000 in the end was $176,000. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we say, okay, we'll make it 11% annual return, which is what the S&P has done over history, there's no reason to suspect that it'll continue, but we can use that number, mm-hmm. then it goes from, from what was it, 176000 to $1.6 million. Mm-hmm. So now when we ask the question, was this worth it? It's not, was it worth 25000 Is it worth maybe a million dollars? 
that's a way different question. That's a significant question. And we still haven't talked about the fact that, like you brought up in the beginning, we're paying off student loans too. Mm -hmm. So not only do we not have the ability to pay off student loans, we're also accruing interest on those student loans. Right. Now, I can say for myself, yeah, it was worth it, but I work for a prince. <laughs> you know? So right. this is not exactly the typical you know, end result of a residency program. So when we, so when I decided, elected to take that residency, I looked at it as like, oh, okay, I'll make 25 instead of like 60 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it was f much more than the difference of like $30,000. It was, it could have been up to a million. Mm -hmm. That's significant. Right, right. If, and when we put it like that, and, and when you put that it that way, that, that's also a lot of ifs, you know? That's if you well, if sure. you did if you did invest if right. the market blah blah if 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 but you right. know I think in the that's why I think in the end you have to do what feels true to you. Right, but we also have to do what feels true with with all of with all information. With all the right? information, so that's a new yeah. that's a new type of information. There, if we're comparing the because I agree, I obviously I agreed. I said twenty five thousand, yeah. I can deal with that. Yeah, because I'm going to get a lot out of it. But if you'd said, oh, it's going to cost you a million dollars, well, then you'd be like, what? I'm not sure that I would have done that. <laughs> yeah. right? Because now we've changed the cost analysis. Sure. So yeah. I think that that's something that's really invaluable. That's not to say don't do a residency or or to do one, but it means when you make this decision. Find out what you're getting out of it, and find mm -hmm. out what the true costs are. These are these are what's called true costs in, mm -hmm. in an economic analysis. And maybe you wouldn't invest it. Maybe you just go on a trip to right. Europe or something or whatever. Right. And if that's what you would have done with it, then right, then maybe it is worth investing your time into your human capital mm -hmm. versus just taking a trip to Disneyland. That's right. absolutely valid. But if you're the type of person that might have invested or is worried about your future income, or you have enormous um, student loans to pay off, that yeah. changes that analysis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of goes back to um, what Lauren asked is how long do people normally wait if you're the type of person who you're like, you know, I would rather pay off these student loans before I start something new, mm -hmm. then that's a great, I think that's totally valid and it makes a lot of right. sense. Absolutely. You know, because a lot of people don't want to put debt on top of debt. Or have to, right. or have to defer those student loans for a couple of years. You know, I know right. I'm the Absolutely. type of person like, I am like a debt-free person. You know, so mm -hmm. I'm not a, a like I would have waited to do a residency until my loans were paid off. Right. Just because it would like totally stress me out. Right. You know, so I am the person like you said. I'm the, I am that person that would rather invest it and maybe wait a little bit. Right. And and just get the work experience and then. You know, I think the beauty about these residencies or fellowships is there are no age requirements. There's no age limits right. to them. Not at all. You know, so that you can at, at your own time and, and when the time is right and when you feel the value for you both financially and otherwise is right. Right. You know, because it's a commitment. It's yes, a commitment. It is. Okay, yes, so I think we've sort of touched a little bit about this, but... Um, as, as we're talking through here, but Matt DeBole, who I believe just graduated this year um, from a PT school, um, he asked, is it valuable to practice in terms of outcomes and is it valuable in other ways to, mm -hmm. to kind of take these fellowship trainings and these residency trainings? 
And right. we've obviously touched upon that, but I'll right. sort of leave the floor to you on that question. Yeah, and this is obviously, in my opinion, the most important question. What are you getting out of it, right? If, if I make a purchase of something, most of the time I kind of know what I'm getting in return. If I purchase a TV, I know the specs to that TV. What are the specs of residency graduates? And for a field that is, you know, we're just talking about the DPT and priding itself and moving into this evidence-based practice, we have next to nothing in terms of evidence of outcomes, not only for a resident or a fellow, but for even just clinical specialization. Mm -hmm. There is almost nothing, almost nothing out there. And the few papers that that you can find confirm that because they'll in their literature review they're like well there's basically nothing out there so we have a lot of retrospective studies and and uh, and um, with you know bias and things like that they're small studies and it's difficult to get any real quality information out of them there is some indication that clinical specialists are happier at their jobs and they feel more fulfillment mm -hmm. after they get clinically become clinical specialists. There is absolutely nothing comparing a clinical specialist that sat for the exam versus a clinical specialist that took a residency. So I can absolutely not say anything about any type of difference between the two. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, there's no difference. Whether or not you, you take the residency, if we're all clinical specialists, I have no idea in practice, in return on investment and in, in enjoyment of your job. I have no information on that whatsoever. Surprisingly, the information on clinical specialists is a little bit mixed too. There are some studies, very few, like one or two that say clinical specialists do a better job. Uh, there are big problems in those studies too, though. I wouldn't take these as great studies, but they show that outcomes for patients are the same. So mm. the patients report the same satisfaction. The differences occur possibly in the cost of the care. So, you know, clinical specialists, I think these were OCSs, are better at, at clinically managing the cost of their care. So they cost less to treat patients, and the patients, on average, get out about one or two visits sooner. Okay. But the problem is that those studies, they looked at, like, you know, 50 or 60 non-specialists, which included OTs, PTAs. It was like a hodgepodge yeah. versus seven or I think it was seven or nine clinical specialists. So that's not a very good no. interaction. And there and there were differences. There were differences in the amount of time practiced. This clinical specialist practiced longer and worked longer hours within those years. They weren't clinically. Uh, they weren't uh, uh, significant. But that doesn't mean it's not clinically significant. Mm -hmm. Meaning that that difference may have actually resulted in something different, even though we didn't have statistical significance right. of difference. Right. So it's very difficult to take any information from, from those sources. So the answer is, I don't know. Now, here's the other thing to consider. If we take a residency, who are the people taking the residencies, and why are they doing it? So in other words, we might find that residents and OCS or SCS or any clinical specialist do actually practice better. We might absolutely find that, and that would be reasonable. But the question is, do they practice better because they took residencies and took fellowships, or do they practice better because they wanted to? Mm -hmm. In other words, the type of person and the type of individual that would pursue an education like that may have the means with which to be better practitioners regardless. And it's this question was answered brilliantly um, in an economics paper that looked at 
um, selective schools for undergraduates, so Harvard and Yale and Princeton, the most selective schools that we have. Clearly, this type of study isn't necessarily applicable to physical therapists, but it does raise a point. What they wanted to know, is going to Harvard going to make a difference in your income? And the answer, of course, is yes. You'll make more money if you were an undergrad at Harvard, all things being equal, you know, majors and, and career, versus if you went to a school that was a little less selective. But what they looked at further, this was a paper actually, um, this is, it's a great paper, it's, it's very interesting, but it was done by uh, Stacy Dale and Alan Kruger in uh, 2000, and it was in the journal of, uh, the Quarterly Journal of Economics, and it was published in 2002. They looked at applicants, they, it was a 20-year period, so it was like 1975, and then reevaluated them again in 1995. Mm -hmm. They found that the students that had been accepted to the most selective schools, but had elected not to go, made the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that being the most successful, at least in this case, in terms of income, is not because you went to Harvard, it's just because you did the work to be accepted. Where you went afterwards, didn't matter. And does that apply to us as physical therapists? Are the type of people that are interested and motivated to advance their career, advance their learning, learn new things, is that what it takes to be a better therapist? Or do you actually have to go to the residency to become that better therapist? And again, it brings up the question, maybe after the residency I was better, but in five years, am I better than anyone else? I don't know. Am I better than the person that the test but didn't take the residency? I don't know. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, these are all excellent points, and I think it's, it just shows that I think there's a huge gray area as to the value of, right. of residency, fellowship, DPT, master's. Is it experience? Mm -hmm. Is it the, the person who graduated in the 80s with a bachelor's degree that has all this wealth of experience? Are they and continue and wants to continue to learn, you know, right. I mean, it now, doesn't make them any less of a therapist because they don't have their master's or they don't have their doctorate, Right. but they Absolutely. have a lot of experience and, and they want to learn and they want to, you know, keep pushing forward within their, their learning, within their career in terms of learning. Right. A lot of these things, because we don't have the evidence, become begging the question. So we assume residencies are better because they're residencies and you mm -hmm. learn more and we assume learning more is better because they're residencies and they just answer their own question without actually showing us that there is in fact reason to believe this and just the pursuit of education in and of itself does not necessarily mean you will be better at practice right That's I could not. get a PhD in art history right now but it won't make me a better physical therapist necessarily right. unless I only treat art historians right then maybe I have something to talk to them about <laughs> so we have to make sure that we're learning the right kinds of things yeah so taking a transitional DPT taking a residency these things have been evaluated there's a, there's some literature on this and look at at quote-unquote expert physical therapists and they'll find out the things that they do and they'll they'll put that into their you know the the kind of book on how to be an expert therapist and how to you know the tests that we take and things like this but these are all correlational findings so they're biased by what we're looking for we're assuming you're a better therapist because of this or because of that but do we know and do we know that the things that we're learning are adding to our value and when we consider a lot of the new information and you and I were just talking before the recording on like pain science and things like this and a lot of the, the newer information that's coming out that's challenging old paradigms of like movement dysfunction or mm -hmm. biomechanical or biomedical you know diagnoses that that 
therefore makes us wonder what are we learning? Is it the fact that we're learning information that is valuable or we're just becoming more confident in the information that we have mm-hmm. and that's having an effect on our patients that is not due to the information itself but rather our belief in that information. So we have to properly vet the information that we're providing and there's there's research on that too that, that looks at that type of, you know, how we relate to our patients and the outcomes that we have and it's not always as clear cut as Oh, this guy knows more, so he's a better therapist. It's not nope. it's not always the way. Nope, nope, definitely not. And then I wonder if <coughs> you know, you have uh, what what I would be curious to see even as as a study is you have a patient who has the choice of going to two different therapists, all things being equal, one has a doctor, one doesn't. Who is that patient mm-hmm. going to choose? Not knowing what this patient knows. Just seeing sort of an on paper, they both went to the same schools, right. one graduated maybe with more experience, one has a doctorate, maybe they both have the same experience, one went back for a, tradi- a transitional DPT. My question is, who is that patient going to choose based on mm-hmm. a piece of paper description? Are they going to choose right. the doctor or are they going to choose the therapist that's not a doctor. Because I have had right. patients here in New York say, oh, well, are you a doctor? Uh-huh. Or do you have your doctor? Are you a doctor as well? You know, and, and right. I was like, no, but I will be. You know, right. so here's the, the, again, so going back to outcomes, we know that every interaction we have with the patient can, can have an effect, can most likely does have an effect onto their outcome. So mm-hmm. is even the patient reading about you have an effect on their outcome before they even meet you. Like I could be a doctor, I can be like a jackass, but that person may want to choose me without even meeting me because I have a doctorate or because I did a fellowship or because I did a residency versus someone who did not, who has a wealth of experience and is maybe much more of a people person, you know, much more of a giver. So, you know, and I don't know, I think that would be interesting to see who patients would choose. Mm -hmm. All things being equal. Right. And when we consider about how people tend to make choices, it tends to be word of mouth. It tends to be Mm -hmm. asking friends and neighbors and family members, what was your experience? Do you know a good doctor? Do you know this? But there's also the the other side of it where people like to know, oh, I've got the best doctor in the state. They Mm -hmm. were ranked the best. So we we do look for things like this without actually analyzing what that ranking system actually means. Right. I'm always amazed at the ranking system of physical therapy schools by you know things like uh, U.S. News and World Report. It's a survey. Mm-hmm. It's a survey that they send out to the heads of programs, which is the best school. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. There's no objective criteria. It's all subjective and it's all based on opinions. Right. That, why are we even caring? <laughs> you know, we shouldn't. The answer is we shouldn't. And yet I wonder how many of our listeners, you know, when choosing physical therapy schools allowed that to dictate some of their yeah. of the portion of their choices. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's human nature to look yeah, at rankings. Absolutely. I always look at rankings. Absolutely. I don't care what it is. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I don't care if it's best movies of all time. Like, if it's a 1 through 20 ranking, I am looking at it. Right, absolutely. You know, am I putting all my energy into it or all my decision-making into it? Not really, but a little bit. You right. know, so if... If you see, that's that's the thing, if you see that someone has on their resume all this stuff versus someone who doesn't, you're going to think, well, they've got to be better because they have all this stuff on their resume. Right, 
Right. You know, Absolutely. so is is that where value comes in in that sight unseen mm -hmm. kind of a yep. forget about you haven't even interacted with the patient yet, but the patient is choosing you because of of your resume. Absolutely, and that may absolutely be valuable. It, yeah, it there is no reason to suggest that it's not, but is it valuable enough to do these things for to go through this process? And for the record, my know. my assumption is this process is valuable. Mm -hmm. My assumption is that we will get things out of going to a residency, going through fellowship training. Absolutely, but I don't base my decisions when I can on assumptions. Right. You know, and and in something like this that requires so much time, effort and monetary cost and mm -hmm. time cost and all mm -hmm. these types of things, it's it would be very nice for a field that prides itself in evident current evidence based practice to actually perform some evidence on these things that affect its workers, mm -hmm. its field. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that would be a, a great uh, undertaking. Yeah. You know, and I think it would make a lot of sense and, and perhaps it would make these people like Lauren or like Matt or, you know, people who are debating on, is this something I want to do? You know, do I right. want to put myself into debt, more debt? Do I want to, right. you know, is this going to be worth it for me? So having some more objective readings, I think, would help. Right. I, I think that from a personal standpoint, my I feel that most likely the people that would benefit the most from these things are the ones that may have felt that they did not get everything they needed in their clinical experiences mm -hmm. or their graduate experiences and are looking for something more. Maybe yeah. they didn't have a program that was strong in evidence-based practice or maybe they didn't have strong clinical rotations and they don't work in an area that is particularly progressive in research or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My feeling there, and, and what's interesting is that's probably informed by that study on, on Harvard, they, they did find that for students that were uh, lower income, they did make a difference. Now, sure. the reason why is probably multifaceted because then we're getting into the discussion of why are people lower income, but it seemed to make a difference for those individuals, yeah. but not for the individuals that were otherwise you know, higher income. And that's probably also stating the fact that higher income individuals are more likely to have been born in higher income families, mm -hmm. you know, certainly their students, so of course. So it means you already have your connections and your right. experiences and whatever. So I would suspect that that's possibly true of the residency training as well. If you just didn't get a great you got decent but not great graduate training, mm -hmm. then something like that probably could help because it, in the least, it will give you confidence and will point you in a direction. Yeah. But if you went to a great program, I don't know if you're getting something more out of the residency. And again, if you went to a great program, a highly selective program, you already, you're already the person that will do well mm -hmm. because you were accepted to a highly selective program not because you learned more at that highly selective program per se. Right, right. So kind of what you're saying is, um, and we're going to kind of have to wrap things up here pretty soon, sure. but um, I kind of feel like out of at least what I'm getting out of this discussion, and then we'll, I'll have you kind of give, give your two cents as well, if you will. Sure. Um, but I feel like what I'm getting out of this discussion is that if you feel like your PT base is not as strong as you would like it to be, and you feel like you personally would benefit from a residency or a fellowship, that it might be something to look into when the time is right for you, depending right. on 
a whole host of circumstances, you know, from family life to finances to, to want and need. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like if you feel like you did not get the best base within your undergraduate and graduate program, or doctoral program now, if you will, um, that going on for this fellowship and residency to make you more confident and to make you feel like you would be a better physical therapist and you would be able to serve your population better than you would otherwise, then it may be worth it. I think that's fair. Yeah, okay. I think that's very fair. <laughs> and uh, and that, that does seem to mirror a lot of the, the reasons why people took residencies in the first place yeah. from the limited evidence that they've done. Right. And, and that's exactly what it means. It, it it doesn't mean necessarily that you can't, you should at least consider studying the materials for clinical specialization. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's your first step. Mm-hmm. Get the materials and study those materials. I can't tell you that doing a residency is any better or worse than that. We might consider the mentorship and things mm-hmm. things of that nature mm-hmm. as valuable, and I don't see why we we should say that it's not, but we can't be sure. But certainly in the least consider s- studying for the test, even if you decide not to take it. Although at that point, if you've studied, you know... You and, better and, take the damn you know, thing, because right. that's a lot of studying, but, you know? Yeah, but at that point, I think that when you make any of these decisions, and my purpose here and the things that I have um, counseled people on when they've written to me and asked me these types of questions, make sure that you know everything you possibly can, including the time and investment and what that investment actually means to your practice and your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and make sure that you understand what the value is and you can compare that reasonably. So rather than just trying to sell you the used car and tell you it's the best car you'll ever get in, please do your homework and get it, you know, look over that car. Don't trust the salesman. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important, especially because I don't think anyone's trying to scam anyone. I think everyone in this field and, and certainly the residency directors, everyone wants to produce excellent physical therapists. Let's make sure we're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well said, I don't think you, I don't think you could say that any better, you know, and, and so unfortunately we have to kind of wrap things up, which is a bummer. Um, but I feel like I could keep going here. Um, pretty soon the podcast, it'll be like an hour and a half and people will be like sleeping in the corner, you know, towards the end. Um, but I think you just sort of wrapped things up perfectly there. But, um, what I want from you is if people want to get in touch with you, what's your Twitter handle? How can they find you on Facebook? Because I have to say the Facebook discussions are very informative, if not colorful at times. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, well worth reading through some of the threads. So what's your Twitter handle? uh, Twitter is backslash John Fast, J-O-N-F-A-S-S or, you know, at John Fast. Mm -hmm. And Facebook is backslash J-O-N dot F-A-S-S. Right, so facebook.com exactly um, yep. backward slash J-O-N dot F-A-S-S. Um, okay, yep. so uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was a great discussion. I think it may Absolutely. even require a part two at some point. Um, <laughs> That'd be, be my pleasure. So thank you so much. And, and if anyone um, wants uh, more information on me, my Twitter handle is at Karen Litzy NYC. Um, so Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time out today and everyone, thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.